Welcome to the Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Katie Dawson. I'm Nikki Irvin, and today's guest is Danny Fernandez. She's an actress and a writer for Netflix and HBO Max, and she's an amazing comedian. Danny, we are so excited to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, We were talking a little bit before we started recording. You are our first uh, in-pandemic recording guest. I'm so honored to be your first guest. I'm I'm always I'm not even kidding. I'm always honored when someone is like, "You are first person." I'm like, "What? Out of all of the people you could have picked, I'm very honored." (laughs) Uh, Well, you're a great pick and you're a great guest. I mean, you've got such like an incredible roster of credits. You've done so much. And I have like so much I want to ask you about just comics and like how you got into doing hosting and like uh, just like the world of things that you have done is is pretty impressive. Yes. uh, I want to follow up by saying that um, I am not only just like a fan of your work, but also just a fan of you as a person. Like I can't. I can't even like begin to tell you how much you have positively influenced my life without, I think probably without barely even trying, um, just by being an advocate for mental health, for uh, physical health, for people with chronic illness, um, for women, for women of color. Like, I, I think you are just a great, like a great role model in general. And uh, I'm just a, I'm a fan. <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. I feel like you have too. We, I, you're such a great person that I feel like I can vent to because about a lot of my stuff, and and you're always there, and so I I really appreciate it. I mean, we've known each other now for several years that oh, yeah. we've like been in the trenches. <laughs> I always call it the yes. trenches, but um, uh, of this godforsaken world. Um, but yes, I I I always feel very safe. Like I can tell you anything. So thank you. Oh, well, that's great. Uh, yay. <laughs> um, well, Danny, so let's, I, let's get right into it. Um, so you grew up, you grew up in Texas and Southern California, right? Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, my parents, uh, met in San Diego. That's where the majority of my family is and they got married there. And then, Uh, But my dad's family, he has a lot of family in San Antonio. So I grew up in Southern California between Orange County and San Diego. Like we bounced around a lot until I was in middle school. And then right after middle school, my parents moved us to Texas. So I actually spent all of high school in Frisco, Texas, which is outside of Dallas, which used to be a small town and now is a huge town. Um, And then I went to college in Austin. Uh, and then I, I actually ended up before I went into comedy, I worked at Baylor Heart Hospital and Baylor's like a massive hospital complex franchise uh, in Texas. And so I worked there in another life. Was the transition from San Diego to Texas difficult? Was it did did you adjust easily? Well, yeah, kind of, because actually when I was in when I was in middle school in Orange County, like they're very mean. <laughs> like Orange <laughs> County kids are very mean. They're also racist and, or a lot of them are. It's like a very conservative, uh, whenever 
like there were, I think I remember during this pandemic when a lot of those like anti-mask like protests were happening, like they were like in what, like Long Beach and stuff. Like it's not that far away. People think like LA and, and OC and San Diego are like very, you know, progressive, but there are definitely areas of it that aren't. And so I actually dealt with a ton of bullying when I was in middle school, which was really traumatizing. And so then when my family moved me to Texas, we actually ended up being like the cool kids because we were from California. And so we moved to this little town in Texas and we only had one high school and it was like Friday night lights. It, it like everyone went to the football games, whether you had kids or not, the whole town would shut down. Like the malls would shut down, like everyone went. And then by the time I left, I think they now have nine high schools, which is crazy. So we went to having one and having like, you would have houses and then cows. Like there were like pastures and then there would be like a business, like a chase bank and then a bunch of cows, (laughs) which they still have in like areas of, of Texas. But now- now Frisco is like, has all of these companies came in like Dr. Pepper and Gatorade and Pizza Hut. And like, they just bought up all the land and made all their headquarters. So now it's like bump, bumping. What am I trying to say? It's like, bu- <laughs> it's like, it's a big town now. It's pretty so. hopping. Yeah. It's hopping. There you go. <laughs> wow. Does that like make you angry to like, look back and be like, man, all this fun stuff came afterwards or were you like my town is ruined oh my gosh no I loved I loved being in a small town like everyone knew each other so everyone had gone to school together since like kindergarten and then I came in and it was so funny to me because they would be I remember this girl in my class was like wow you have such like California style and I was like I bought this here (laughs) it was like I bought this at the Macy's at Stonebriar um but no, I, I loved, I still love Texas. I have such a soft spot in my heart for Texas. I think, I think it gets a bad reputation again for certain areas of it, which I do not think is all of Texas. I also think Texas is very diverse. The Latino population obviously is very huge um, there, but also uh, a lot of other, there's like Korean, there's a lot of black communities, obviously in like Houston and Dallas. And like, I just don't think, it's all white (laughs) is what people think of Texas. And so, um, and so anyways, I really enjoyed it. I thought the people were very sweet and kind and like they wave to you when you're, you know, driving or walking down the street and it's like neighborly and people hold doors open for you. It's just like the Southern manners. I also consider Texas the South, which is a whole argument, whole different argument, but yeah. So, so people I think are nicer and then then in other places that I've lived and so I actually don't I think I would be a different girl if I had stayed in Orange County my whole life I think I would be a mean girl (laughs) and (laughs) I'm not and so um yeah so I actually enjoyed the small town aspect of of it I love hearing that about Texas just because I do think I I didn't grow up in Orange County but San Diego is also like weirdly conservative Mm -hmm. we were in a small part of San Diego. And I, you know, I, but I also fairly liberal in its own way, I guess. And I, I I think I definitely did have prejudices mentally about parts of Texas. I've been to Austin and loved it, but I hadn't really explored Texas that much. So it's nice to hear that. I really love hearing that. Yeah. And I'm from Florida. So, I mean, anything's better than that. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm kind of talking to someone from Florida and I'm so fascinated by it. Like he's not, he's not, um, like backward or whatever, but I'm just like so fascinated that you obviously, cause you're also from Florida. Like you can come out of Florida and be a normal functioning person that's 
<laughs> not I mean, wrestling alligators and doing wild racist stuff. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but uh, I, I've got my own brand of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I respect so, it. Well, th- uh, thank you. Uh, so you, so, okay, so you went to college. What did, did you go to college for? To What did you go to college for? <laughs> I went to UT, uh, I got in their pre-journalism program. I wanted to be a journalist and I'm actually so glad that I'm not. <laughs> um, one, like the landscape of journalism was changing so much at the time. And so it was kind of just like so much uh, papers were failing um, and probably st- still are, you know? And so yeah. like print journalism was changing and that's kind of what I was trying to go into and also broadcast journalism. Um, and I didn't get into the broadcast journalism program. They only let in like so many kids and I wasn't one of them. And I was like super bitter about it. <laughs> and I ended up, um, I ended up instead because I needed a way to make money when I was in college. I got a license to be a personal trainer and like a dance instructor. Cause I danced, uh, when I was in high school, I was on the dance team. And so I was teaching classes at the college at UT. They have like a, all of their money is funneled into the gym, like into sports, you know, like all, all the Texas colleges, like all of it is funneled into their sports program. So we had like state of the art, like Olympic level, like we had Olympic sized pool. We had like, you know, some of our coaches actually trained Olympic athletes. Uh, so I went into kinesiology. I changed, I went into kinesiology and I studied exercise science and I was like, yes, I want to work out with athletes. That's what I want to do. But another portion of kinesiology is cardiac rehab is physical therapy. That's a whole other side that you can pursue. And so that's what I ended up. I ended up getting an internship at Baylor and I was like, I don't know if I want to work in a hospital. That's kind of different than being on the track, you know, cause I ended up working with the elderly, which is like a huge, um, necessary component, but I think it takes the right type of person because when I was in cardiac rehab, a lot of my patients would pass away. That's just what happens. You know, they're having heart surgery. They're in their eighties and nineties. It takes a special type of person, a very necessary job, but one that I don't think I was meant to do. So that's when I kind of dropped out, but yeah, I spent a, I spent a year or two in, in the hospital working in cardiac rehab. Wow. That's wild. Um, that also explains a lot of like, you have a very good grasp and of yeah. how the body works. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. All of the health stuff. And it's so fascinating because I know I've had this conversation with you. It's just different feelings about doctors and, and, you know, I feel like women in general and especially women of color don't always get listened to. There's like, you know, vast studies about that uh, and how black and brown women uh, especially are at danger a lot of times uh, and because their doctors don't listen to them. And I think Serena Williams actually talked about that uh, very famously. And so I have, you know, it's, it's such a mixed bag because I can see the world that they're in, that they're so busy, that they get such little time that it's not necessarily, you know, and then I see as a woman of color, I'm like, but I also need you to listen to me. You're not listening to me. And so it's just, yeah, I've seen both sides of it. And that's probably why I, I do feel I speak up so much about my chronic illness stuff is also from working, uh, in a hospital. Really interesting. How did you get to comedy then? 
Oh, um, <laughs> well, kind of sideways, I guess. I feel like we all kind of fall into it. Uh, I don't know if people actively set out for it. I guess I kind of fell into doing stand-up. I always wanted to be a writer, but um, I was going through a really difficult period of my life. And I was married. I got married when I was young because that's what you do in Texas. Uh, you graduate, yeah. you get married. That's it. Um, you go to Dairy Queen on the weekends. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like very logical steps. And so actually the Sonic We'd go to the Sonic after the football games. And um, I just I just didn't want that life. I think I did what I thought you're supposed to do. I checked off all the boxes and I did the, you know, graduate and then marry your high school sweetheart, the man that I met when I was 18. And <laughs> I spiraled kind of into a depression, realizing that this was not for me. And I um, created a Twitter account as you do when you're super depressed. And I just started tweeting a lot of jokes about depression. And I developed a big following within like a year. Like, I mean, being not in the public eye and not knowing anyone, I had like 20,000 followers. I think the first year that I was on Twitter, just tweeting, you know, whatever came into my mind and probably from having an experience as a writer. And so I had a lot of comedians. I remember Neil Brennan, Roy Wood Jr., um, a couple of other ones that hit me up and were like, hey, you're really funny. Have you tried doing stand up? And at the time, I just, it didn't cross my mind. I was like, I'm funny on paper, but not mm. on stage. But I remember there was a writer who just believed in me so much. And he was like, you should at least try this. You're young, like you have nothing to lose. And then if you want to go back, you can. And so that kind of convinced me of these people who are really respected and successful in the industry thought I had something. So I kind of just made the jump and moved to LA. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you do stand up in Texas before you moved to LA? No, I'm trying to think of like, I had performed, um, you know, I had done like some theater. I was on the dan dance, ugh, the dance, the drill team is like high level performance. It's like red lips, smile at all times, using Vaseline on your teeth to keep your huge <laughs> smile, like straight line kicks and, you know, costumes. And so I was used to performing in front of people, um, but I was never used to like being up there alone, I would say. And so I ended up getting a job at the Ice House Comedy Club. Actually, my first like week in LA, I saw that they had an opening for a hostess. They wanted someone to work the front door and I like drove to Pasadena and I gave them, also, this is so corny y'all, but I was younger. It was another time. I made a <laughs> list of 10 reasons why they should hire me. Um, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And um, just to work the door. And I guess they had 150 people apply because everybody wants to work at a comedy establishment, whether it's UCB or the comedy store or whatever. And so they let me host. I did a really, I took my job very seriously. I had to like seat people and wrist wrap VIP and like figure out also dealing with famous people's entourages, which was a whole other thing. Um, but that's when I started to do stand up is I, I just got that job and I thought like, as a writer, this will be great. I'll meet other people in comedy, but I was around so many comedians. They were like, you should just try some of these on stage. So that was, uh, that kind of gave me the push to do it.
Do you remember your first time? Yes. My first time, um, Evan Kessler. I don't know if you know Evan Kessler. Very nice comedian. Um, he, a good friend of mine, took me to an open mic uh, downtown LA. I don't even know if it's open. I mean, obviously for pandemic purposes, but even before then, I don't know if it had shut down. Um, it was not great. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was It was that but so my first open mic was not great and I've I, open mics in general are a, a mixed bag because I feel like a lot of people there in the audience like aren't necessarily there for an open mic or didn't know an open mic was about to happen uh and are just enjoying their drinks or their meals um and so uh yeah so that was very awkward slash traumatizing but my first show was actually at the comedy store upstairs I think I did the c-word show which is Suna's show and I did really well actually I got a ton of laughs I remember um and she even tweeted and was like you guys have to see Danny Danny stand up and I just remember like oh shit now I gotta do this thing <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> like I just remember I had a good set and I was like oh shit I guess I I guess I have potential so damn, now I, now I got to do stand-up, damn. You know, I think if I had just kept bombing and bombing, I was but like, nope, not for me. But I think having that good show, I just was like, oh, these respected people laughed at my jokes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what was that first like year of doing stand-up like? It was so wild because I just didn't, I felt like I was burning the candle at both ends. You know, you, you, you learn to, I guess, master like your energy because you're still working. I mean, typically you're still working a nine to five job or in my case, like 8 a.m. I think I had to be in the office at 8 a.m. I was working at a listicle site uh, that Eileen O'Connell, um, Chris Garcia, like a bunch of other comedians worked at because we needed money. Yes. Um, and so that was the one saving grace of that listicle site is we all sat next to each other writing like 28 bridesmaid fails and, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. And we all wanted to die and not wanted to be there. And <laughs> <laughs> when we would get off, I would take a nap and then go out and hit open mics. And I just remember it was such a slug, like, you know, just having to get around town and do that. And at the time, so I had not been diagnosed with my chronic illness stuff yet. I knew something was wrong. My mm -hmm. energy was scaring me. And even though I was burning the candle at both ends, it was just, it just felt like I'd taken NyQuil and then was trying to perform. Like my brain was fuzzy. I was starting to forget my jokes. I just, I would cry a lot. Like I would just break down all that, like in hysteria and it just nothing, I could have an energy drink and it didn't matter. Like I just yeah. couldn't get my energy. I'm like nodding huge. <laughs> you can't hear me out there, but I am big time nodding at this. Yeah. And so- that all of a sudden that started to seep into my life and took over my life mm -hmm. and in a really scary way where I was just having a really hard time getting diagnosed as well. It was kind of just, which is again, is goes back to kind of my mixed bag with, with doctors and there are great doctors. It just, you have to find them. And mm -hmm. same with every profession. There's some that are not so great. There are some that are stellar. And so, um, I, that is kind of why I also took a step back from standup. It was like, I was embarrassing myself. I remember one time I was at the comedy store and my blood sugar just crashed when I was on stage. And I kid you not, I forgot where I was. 
when your blood sugar crashes, it's mm-hmm. just kind of like a mini stroke almost. Um, well, it can actually cause that in people. And I just stood up there, y'all, in the middle of a joke. I shrugged my shoulders and I walked off. It was insane. Like I just, oh, even now I'm like having a heat like flash, like because of it. So anyways, I, I started to like step away from, from stand up after about a year because my health stuff started to seep in. Wow. That's, that's so tough because you're on stage and you know, you're having a physical, a physical reaction to something that you don't, maybe not, maybe you don't have control over it, or maybe you don't know what's going on to even know to have control over what's happening. So you're like not even fully aware. And then this happens. And then you have to deal with this, the perception that people have of you. And that's the worst. (laughs) Yes. I remember I felt like, a, it, and it kept happening, by the way, I kept, and it's still to this day, I have blood sugar issues and I now know how to monitor it. Now when I'm on set, I have like specific snacks. I always, in my writer's rooms, I always bring lunch, even though they pay for lunch because I have food allergies and they'll be like, oh, Danny, I'm sorry. They covered the whole thing in cheese. And like, I'm sorry. You can't. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and normal younger me would just not eat then for like four hours. And this me, I'm like, oh no, it's okay. I already knew this was going to happen. And bring, cause I have to be on my A game, you know, to write, to perform, to host, like y'all were saying. So I, this is the wildest story. I remember one time I was performing and I literally had like a baked potato in my purse because I <laughs> I needed to like pump up my blood sugar, but not like with orange juice. Cause that'll like spike it and then make it drop anything that goes up. It'll come right back down. Yeah. Uh, which is also something I learned in the hospital. And so I had like more like complex carbs, like, and, and so I seemed very, um, like a diva early on. Cause you know, when you're an open micer, like you're not, you can't get, you don't get to like pick your slots and stuff. And so yeah. I was like, Oh no, I thought it was, they would bump me. And I would, and I would perfectly time eatings for when I performed and then I would get bumped several people. And I was like, Oh no, I, I thought I was going up. And like, all of a sudden I would start to have a panic attack. Cause it was like, what if this happens again? And like my blood sugar crashes. And so I, I mean, I, I stepped away and I, I still perform, but I actually don't really do stand up anymore for that reason and that purpose. But like you said, like I'll, I'll still do sketch and improv. I still like, but those aren't necessarily as I can share a stage with other people who are kind of like taking on some of the energy. So I don't have to be on the whole time, but yeah. I mean, I feel there are a lot of people that have chronic illness issues that do stand up or are neuro neurodivergent that do stand up and I hats off to them because I, I couldn't keep up with it you know, dealing with health issues, et cetera, in that environment. And on top of being a woman, um, I'm sure on top of being a woman of color, it's really difficult to advocate for yourself in general. I think as a woman, I've, I'm curious, like, when did you start feeling like you could kind of, uh, like advocate for yourself and, and just be out and open with what your needs were. And yeah, I would say I started to speak up a lot. I started, you know, and this was before the me too movement. So I would say like 2015 and I was still new out here and I made a lot of enemies. Cause as I started to host in like the nerd world, you know, I've hosted for like Nerdist and Geek and Sundry and done stuff with like DC and Marvel and 
you know, those fans are really intense. And so are some of the male hosts. A lot of the male Mm -hmm. hosts were very misogynistic, like very, the way that they would talk about Brie Larson or, you know, uh, Gal Gadot and like the women involved in these franchises. And I remember standing up to a lot of them and they were assholes to me. Um, And we would publicly get in fights like on Twitter. And then when the Me Too movement happened, a lot of them had to have their coming to Jesus moment. And I think it was just a lot of us were saying all that stuff well before, you know, that happened. And but it sucked because I felt like a lot of people thought I was difficult. That is that is a label that a lot of us get. I think a lot of people thought I was like uppity or difficult to work with. Still, I still think people, white men, feel that about me. Um, I know because I've had some like directors <laughs> unfollow me. I'll like tweet about you know the lack of representation at the Oscars or whatever. Or how a lot of them follow me, but they never retweet any of our work or our articles or the shows that we sell. And so. Um, I still well, she's not up- she's not tweeting about Goku's ass. I don't <laughs> want it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's so fascinating. It's just I'll watch who they do retweet though, and I'm like, I don't understand. You follow so many of my friends and I, and we'll have an an announcement. We'll have a deadline article, and you don't care about any of our work. So this that's very fast. Like I just pay attention, and so um, but I see you retweeting the same people who already have a platform, who are already in you know are already heavily represented in this business. Um, but yet you call yourself a feminist and whatnot. Honestly, though, it really helped being in a lot of the female comedy groups. I feel like mm-hmm. we had made, you know, a lot of them don't exist now, but we like there were a lot of different Facebook groups at the time that I was in and just like watching and learning from other comedians about uh, how to support each other. And I noticed that our generation specifically is very supportive. I've performed with women from older generations who aren't as much (laughs) because they come from a generation where you had to be like one of the boys you you know saw each other as competition uh because there was only going to be one of you on the lineup and so we just don't do that and it's so funny when you run across someone like that because it's just like oh it's so jarring to me because I'm like oh my friends and I we don't this is so old school like we don't treat each other like that yeah, I can I can relate to that for sure. I think that was there was seems to be like a big shift like uh, I'd say like 8 years ago. I feel like it started happening where all of these uh women were <laughs> sort of just like, "Wait, hold on. What if we just work together on this and got together?" Like that's been super beneficial I think to a lot of people. I think the fact that you mentioned how having a few people who were sort of in power or sort of people who you saw, oh, this is a successful comedian. They're telling me that I'm doing a good job and that I should pursue this. Like now that you are that person and you are the person that people look up to, do you take ownership of doing the same thing for other people? Like, do you like spend energy trying to lift other people up the way that you were? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have people that I mentor and, um, pass along like their scripts to my agents and managers. And I've definitely gotten other women multiple jobs because I can't have all the jobs. <laughs> I can't have all the jobs. And so I quickly realized though, when I would turn down, like say a hosting gig, they would just, 
have a guy like they would just be like okay well we did our due diligence we asked Danny she's not available so we'll just mm-hmm. use the normal guy that we use and I was like oh shit I I better give them a list of women to pick from so that they won't have an excuse not to have a, a woman on this panel and so my friends and I started to do that and honestly I mean I'm sure y'all relate to this most of my gigs and spots have come from recommendations from other women and other people in the community we you know I think a lot of people are like man I wish I had an agent and Danny's doing all this stuff because of her agents and like I do love my agents hi if you're listening I love you but they would even know that a lot of my stuff that comes my way is given like it's people that that recommended me and and I didn't even like audition for it it'll it'll be someone like oh so and so you know put your name in and I I respect them and do you want to come and do the show do you want to come and do this hosting thing um so I would say the majority of my jobs are from networking really from, from knowing people and, and uh, being a kind person and supporting others. And so, yes, so that, and also just doing panels where I try to instill in people uh, confidence to be able to pursue this career. I think one of the things that I, back when I was doing standup that I would tell women is go to an open mic and see some of the guys very confidently doing their jokes. And you'll be like, Oh, I'm better than him. Like I can write better than him. (laughs) I mean, it's true. You know, we have to put up with like racist or rape jokes or like whatever. And you'll watch it and be like, wow, he has so much confidence. Like uh, my jokes are 10 times better than this. Why, why am I not up there? And so I feel that way about writing as well. I feel a lot of the times we have to be twice as good to get recognized. And so I've been in writer's rooms with people who probably shouldn't be in there. Uh, And they're either at my level or above me. And so I try to instill that, um, especially in like young kids of color who I'm like, you've had such a, you've dealt with life experiences that like other people in your room haven't. And I hope Mm -hmm. that you carry that experience with you because you belong there and yes they might have career experience but you have you have stories to tell and you have lived through adult things that um that they probably haven't and so I I do try to instill that confidence in people that are trying to pursue this this industry comedy in general is male dominated but I think you know comics and you know superhero fandom is also extremely male Mm -hmm. dominated and I've heard I I don't have personal experience with it but I've heard can be pretty toxic to women um when did you get into comics how did you enter that realm of working in comedy and and what have some of your challenges been and like what do you what do you enjoy about it Yeah, I would say probably it was adjacent that I was like super into animation when I was growing up, which I guess we all kind of were, but I got really, I was into um, the comics. I was into like the Sunday funnies and stuff and Mm. like original comics like Calvin and Hobbes and um, Farside and like all of those that I would get like every Sunday and my parents would take me to back when we were in San Diego they would take me to Seaport Village which had a little bookstore that I don't know if it's still there anymore I want to cry but um I would go and I would get these little comic strip like these books um and read them and that slowly turned into manga where I became like obsessed with anime and I found anime largely through Toonami on Cartoon Network that was their anime block and just became obsessed with it the way that like 
people are obsessed with Harry Potter and like what house they're in and fan fiction and reading fan fiction of Harry Potter and like all of that, like that's anime for me. And so um, I just never left that world. And I definitely felt really weird when I was uh, an adult that was still into it, especially in Texas. Cause it was just like, you know, us being an entertainment, that's very normal. Cause a lot of the people we're around are making those things. But when you're working a normal job, um, it's, it's weird. It's weird to some people that you're like watching, you know, cartoons, but my history of anime and comics, and then it later became like Wonder Woman. Uh, I adore Wonder Woman and so many of her storylines and, um, and, and other like Powerpuff Girls, grew up on Powerpuff Girls and um, loved Catwoman. And so was a large DC baby, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I used to steal my brother's Batman and have it make out with my Barbie. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was just so buff and rubbery. And, <laughs> uh, he, was way, he would like beat up Ken and then, and then run away with Barbie. And so um, Batman, the animated series as well, like grew up on that, which I still love that. And oh, oh, so, so good. good. Yeah. Yes. And loved Harley Quinn and just was really connected with women like that. And so uh, same with Bulma from Dragon Ball Z, who's a badass and puts the men in their place and is also a genius, but is also sex positive. And it was like so many of these things when I was growing up that I also felt I related to. And uh, so anyway, so when I moved out here, that a lot of those companies were kind of what I call the YouTube bubble. It was like mm-hmm. a lot of those nerd companies were on YouTube. They were getting like millions of views and they needed women to talk about more of these stories. And so because I had a background, I was asked to be a guest. That was actually how I got started. I was asked to be a guest on a lot of these shows. And then they were like, oh, wow, you're really good. Like, do you want to guest host? So-and-so is out this week. And so I would slowly start to like climb my way up the ladder to in that. But I just love the fact that something that I grew up with that I was also largely bullied for, I ended up making into a career, which I think is really cool. Danny, I have, um, I'm curious about like, okay, so sometimes you have memory issues, right? Cause chronic illness, yes. like some- grasping these, like this, like information. I, I don't know if this is a question so much as I just want to point out like how difficult it is to, must be to be not only like in comedy where having like full grasp on like your mental things uh, is really important. And then on top of it, like nerd culture is so like, oh, if you don't know all of this information, you're not a real nerd. Like how much of a challenge has that been for you? Or have you just been like, no, F you, I am exactly who I am. Like, have you gotten to a point where that's been the case? I think I avoid shows where I have to prove how much of a nerd I am. (laughs) Um, I do. And so for the longest time, my friends over at, um, actually on college humor asked me for years to come on and I kept telling them no, because they were like, no, we, but it's a, it's a fun show. They were like, it's a comedy show. And I was like, (laughs) I don't care. Like my fan, like the people who follow me are not, it's y'all are nice, but the, the people who are going to see this are not nice. And, but then I ended up doing it because they, you know, you can actually just spin, if you don't know something, you can say something wild and you'll get like points or people will laugh for the fact that you're just being funny and dumb. And so, um, but yeah, I really do avoid those type of like prove you're a nerd by answering all these, you know, trivia questions. And so I'm just not about that. And um, yeah, so I, so I've kind of like sidestepped having to do that. And I did the great debate 
uh, which was a very positive, fun, again, everyone, like most of the people on that show were my friends. So it's just like dicking around with your friends. But a lot of the times I would, if I knew like, okay, I'm debating on behalf of this. Same with, uh, I did the great debate at um, Comic-Con, which was like Mm -hmm. for a thousand people or something. But if I knew I was, if I had to take on, they'd be like, Danny, you're going to go against, you're taking on Wolverine going against Han Solo. I'd be like, okay, really quickly. Like, what are some jokes I can come up with? Same with doing um, Tournament of Nerds or like any of that. I would, I would try to stack, I would try to help myself out if that makes sense and write yeah. as many jokes as I could. Um, and I've done a ton of, this is really funny because I've done a ton of the roasts, like the fictional roasts, the historical roasts. But again, I get to write my jokes in advance. And mm-hmm. I even tell them anyone, even the people at the great debate, they know, like I have to have a little script uh, to remember. Cause again, I have a really bad memory. Um, yeah. And so I'll like look over my jokes really quickly and be, and whatever I can remember once, once, once we're live and we're recording and it's like, okay, what can Danny actually remember that she wrote? (laughs) Um, But if I have like one or two stellar ones, that's all I need. If I can like remember two and they like hit and that's what people clip. Um, But it is difficult. So I do have to, I do have to prepare in advance. And sometimes (laughs) it was really funny because I made it to the final round of like both of my shows, both of my episodes of the great debate, which means I had not planned past the first round. (laughs) You don't know what you're going to end up debating against. So that was just Danny, hopefully being on her game, like very quickly writing and, and using all my comedy background. And honestly, again, I learned, oh, I learned this from Amber Ruffin. I did a a great debate at New York comic-con with her and she's amazing. She was handed Ronald Weasley and I think had never watched Harry Potter and she had to debate on behalf of Ronald Weasley. And she did something again, as a professional comedian, she got up out of her chair. She went out to the audience and she was like, Ronald Weasley has red hair. And everyone cheered and she was like, yes, he does. And she was, <laughs> she was like, Ronald Weasley is a coward. And everyone booed and she was like, he is not. And so it was <laughs> a normal person would blank. They would, they would melt down being handed someone that they do not know. But it's like, you have to use whatever you have, even if you look like an idiot. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing is don't be afraid to look like an idiot because I know in the great debate, my final rounds, I was making the most absurd arguments, but people were laughing because they were just absurd. It didn't like, I think they handed me Gandalf and I'm like, I don't, I, all I know is he has a beard. That's all I know. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, what can I pull from this? You know, from this like wizard daddy, like what can I? <laughs> so, so definitely that was, that was something is to answer your question is like not taking it so seriously, not taking the trivia and facts. And it's just like, what do I know about Game of Thrones? Well, I know this meme, everyone kind of makes fun of this character. So I'm just going to make fun of it that way too. That's all I know. Uh, so that was definitely, but yeah, I still, I still struggle, still struggle with my memory. Very fascinated with the fact that I'm acting a lot more now. And for some reason, mm-hmm you know, memorizing my lines, I have to go over again and again and again and again and again and again. And then I get it. And I'm actually really proud of myself that I can now learn. I just had a huge audition last night where I had to memorize like pages and pages of dialogue. And I think when you get it, you're like, there's no way I'm going to do this. And then after an hour, I was like, I can't believe I did that. Can't believe I memorized that. But yeah. Wow. Wow, That's that's awesome. awesome. Uh, Uh, That that you've been able able to to 
work, work that, that out, out with yourself, yourself and, like, and like make accommodations for yourself and, and, and learn learn what works, what works. <laughs> yeah that's cool, that's cool. yeah yeah, I think for everyone, like figuring out what works for you is, I think, one of the more difficult things in terms of like not only memorization, but also like thinking on your feet. Um, like when I do open mics, I force myself to do crowd work so that I'm, yeah. I like am forcing myself to come up with jokes on the fly um, because otherwise I just would never try that. Yeah. Yeah. And some days I have good, I mean, I guess we all do. Some days I have good days, some days I have bad days. But yeah. I think now I at least have a little bit of leeway. I've, I hope have developed a reputation enough where it's like, okay, she's a writer, like a respected writer. And so if I have a bad day, it's not the end of the world. Uh, if I can't be at my funniest at all times because of all the other times I've proven it. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's helps. So Danny to, comedians that are out there either starting or thinking about becoming a comedian or have been a comedian for a long time what's the best piece of advice that you could give to anybody who is on the comedy journey find other people who you respect who are also you know like I said in the trenches with you and look out for each other support each other promote each other's shows show up to each other's shows back when we you know, I mean, in the future, whenever we can start going to comedy shows again, because I think that is going to be your group. That's going to be your community. And you guys will rise together. You do. Like all of my friends who I started with are also TV writers now. I remember when we wanted to break in so badly and we broke in together. And so really finding the people who, when you're having a really hard time, can pull you up and vice versa is so important because it is brutal out here and it can be really lonely and it can be really like cutthroat and feel toxic if you're around the wrong people. So you want people who surround yourself with people who want to see you win, truly want to see you win. And that might involve some people that are outside of comedy um, <laughs> as well. You don't have to only be friends with people in comedy, but finding that community and that support system is vital. It's vital for the days that you want to quit. You know, you need them and taking and quitting, you know, like I, I stepped away from doing standup. You can still perform. You can still catch me on stage. You can still catch me at UCB and, and uh, on these shows, like I said, with other comedians that I'm competing against, but I just couldn't do standup anymore. And um, I found tracking down like the two main things that I wanted to do helped me propel my career forward. So I think a lot of people are like, how do you do all the, all these things? And it's like, I really just do to my mind. I do like two things. Uh, I just do those two things a lot and very well. And I don't, do not feel like you have to do all of the things because you might feel like you're treading water and not moving forward. Mm. So your energy cannot go into 10 things. Instead, put your energy maybe into two or three things that you are super passionate about and get really good at and you study and you practice. And that, that is how I have moved up quicker than trying to do all of the things. That is excellent advice. And what are those two things? What do you consider your two things? I would like to think it's writing and acting. I would say right now it's probably writing and hosting okay. um, because I haven't had, I've acted in a couple of different shows and, and hopefully starring in my own show, but, um, but that's what I wanted. I was like, what, write down your goals. Like, what are your two things that are most that, 
you know, and, and a lot of my friends, it's stand up. I know for Yadoye Travis, who's a good friend of mine in New York, I think all he, I mean, he does a lot of different things, but I think he would never trade in stand up. I don't think he would ever want to stop doing stand up. And I was like, oh, I'm not like that. <laughs> I was like, I would trade in stand up to get like a starring acting. Like, I would be fine if I never did stand up ever again, if you want me to like, if I got to act in something. And I realized if I was performing all of the time and I was going to all these open mics and I was doing, like, I didn't have time to write. I did not have the energy to write. I didn't have the time to write. And so I was just like, if I'm really serious about being a writer, that has to come first. And I need to actually be writing. I need to finish these scripts. I need to be submitting these scripts. And some people, some people can do both. Some people can do all those things. I'm not one of those people. And I think that's good to know. Uh, so that you're not again, mm -hmm. treading water and not moving forward because you're trying to do things that you just can't do. So yeah, that's my that advice. That is so much excellent advice. Yeah, that is <laughs> very good well. advice. Um, Danny, is there anything that you want to plug? Oh, no, just follow me. I'm at Ms. Danny Fernandez. It's M-S-D-A-N-I-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And uh, yeah, just be kind to each other. I feel everyone's really on edge, obviously, with everything going on. But just notice like an extra ounce of people being jerks to each other, um, even within the community. And so I just feel like everyone's really going through it y'all so just be nice yeah that's that's nice <laughs> that is nice it's nice to be nice nice to be nice it also true. feels better to be nice right I yes guess. well danny thank you so much for joining us today and for telling us about you thanks for having me it's the comedy girl